Guys, welcome back to the After Action Review. You guys know me. I'm Nick Guy. I'm the world's most okay Green Beret. And with us today, we have a more than okay Green Beret, Clay Martin. He is, God, man, dude, you've done everything. You, you, were, you were an infantry Marine. You were a recon man, a scout sniper. Then you raised your GT score and became a GB. You became the master race of the SF world in 18 Echo comms, then an 18 Fox, and now you write books and you review weapon systems, and you've got a good thing going, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, brother. Dude, uh, I, 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 have, I noticed your office as soon as we came on. Like, Bro, you're making me look bad. Look at that. That is super fancy. You uh, you look professional. Yeah, but but see, but you're but you're like a working author though. So like you're supposed to kind of be like scatterbrained, and I like to picture you like Hemingway, <laughs> as you as you may see from my catastrophe. That's <laughs> <laughs> it, just all the ideas, man. Right, right, yeah. Exactly. It, it's all it is. It's just the creative juices flowing. You can't be slowed down by things like cleaning up or knowing which things are. Exactly. No, man. You got to get online, buy more luau shirts, and push out <laughs> books. Well, you got to, man. I, uh, I built my first 80% yesterday. So I felt like it was Luau shirt day. Dude. I saw that man. It came out great. Dude. I was super excited about it. I was, uh, I was actually a little sketched out going into this because I looked at these before and it's one of those things like I never built my own guns. I was always the driver of the gun. Like I didn't build it. Yeah. I did, you know, Bravo's job or the super ninja armor or whatever. So I'm not even a very good gunsmith, but uh, man, we slapped that thing together in like 30 minutes and uh, it looks good. Functions well. I, I got to go out and test fire today, but just, you know, running the slide and whatever. It looks pro. I mean, when I, I, I have, I have an 80%, I, you know, I, I have a 80 percenter. Um, well, the, the guts, well, my buddy has an 80 percenter. <laughs> He's taking a boating today, but yeah. He, he, he wanted to get out in the water, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah you gotta, gotta, and, uh, you know, I, I told him, I said, listen, the gun can't swim. It can't right. swim. So just be careful. What if you get attacked by a great white though? You're gonna want a Glock 19. Absolutely, right? That that's obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they're great because the the like one I like them because the the grip angle is is far more traditional than like a standard Glock. Like yeah. you have like that more of that familiar 1911 Sig Sauer feel with with the grip angle, and it runs kind of like this like a, a far more standard rail. Than, yeah, than, than, than the Glock proprietary rail, rail, which is great. And then when you look at it, like the, the insides are identical to like a Glock OEM lower. So everything right. kind of just fits right in. They're great, exactly. man. It's got a lot of potential, man. I was, uh, like I said, I was a little intimidated, intimidated to do it, but I also actually did a video on it. So it'll be coming out on Guns America next month about how we did everything. But I looked at it for two reasons. One, I wanted to be able to do like all the things I wanted in a Glock without having to buy any aftermarket parts. So, you know, you go buy a factory Glock, you got to get a barrel if you want a threaded one and, you know, new sights, obviously, because little plastic ones are garbage and, you know, a new trigger, blah, 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 whatever. It seems like it might actually be cost effective to build this way using things like an Apex trigger, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, some good sights, wherever you get those from and like a threaded barrel right off the bat. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. And, uh, I was also a little bit intimidated by the fact that I didn't have a drill press or anything, right? So yes, yes. All, all the guys that are doing this online have all these cool tools and shit. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go buy a CNC machine to make, you know, plastic. plastic <laughs> so, this is no kidding, dude. We cut mine, and this is the first one I've ever done with a Dremel tool and a hand drill. And it seems to be absolutely working great. That's all you need. And you don't, you don't need, like, a, fan, you don't need a fancy shop. Like no. the first one I built was at my living room table. Like that's, that's how, that's how it was. Yeah. It was a mess, but you, you, it's, it's too simple. You don't need any fancy equipment. You can just go out in your garage and make it happen. Get it done. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I'm excited. Oh. It's pretty neat. Mm, new guns. God. Oh, oh, just give me some rare. Dude. So we, I wanted to bring you on because you, you know, you're a, I like to consider you probably one of the sharper wits on Twitter.com. I really do. Because <laughs> I, I think, honestly, like, and I think, you know, it's the whole aesthetic you've got going on. You got your Luau shirt on. You're ready. Oh, hold on. 
Is that a, is that a Carl G. Luau shirt? Hell yeah, dude. No oh, yeah. yeah. I just noticed that. I just... <laughs> That's fantastic. So, I mean, you know, you know, the, the wit matches the, the aesthetic. And you know as well as I do the big news this week. And I wanted to speak to this, I wanted to speak to this earlier, but I kind of got caught up writing uh, a, a piece. Uh, but I wanted to speak to it. This whole nonsense with the circle game at the Army-Navy game. My yeah. God. That was first. First off, the the stories were running before the game had even finished. <laughs> right. right. No, nobody cared about the game anymore. They're like, "Oh, screw the score. This is what happened." Yeah, these guys are you know fingers and stuff and weird. Yeah, throwing game signs or whatever. Yeah. And then you had you had you had big names pushing a narrative that was totally rooted in speculation and this fear of of, the, of this boogeyman because. It, God, you know, for the last three years, people have been crying wolf in terms of, of hate crimes and white, white power with the rise of white nationalism. And I don't doubt, you know, obviously everybody knows that you, you're going to have like those backwoods hillbillies right. where, you know, they're, they're, they've always been there, but they are or, just. Or, or black Hebrew Israelites talking about killing cracker babies. Or that too, you know, like, obviously. It goes both ways. This it does go both ways. Yeah. My God. I mean, we. God, Jersey just happened too. That right, kind of yeah, left exactly. the that, that kind of left the news pretty quickly too. Yeah, funny how that works. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> that narrative goes away. Smoke, like. <laughs> yeah, that, that, as soon as it doesn't fit the 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 nice and tidy narrative, it uh, it 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 disappears very quickly. Dies on the vine, exactly. Yeah, but this this one did not because this one had all the makings of the evil boogeyman and the rise of white nationalism in our sacred institutions such as West Point and the Naval Academy. It's right. all thanks to Trump. <laughs> right. That's right. all it is. I don't know what it is. He inspired them. He created. I, they, I don't know if they think he's got like a little lab and he's making little minion Probably he inserted one of his guys as the commandant of both of those schools who was, uh, you know, definitely on his secret Bohemian Grove white power team or whatever. Exactly. Just, like distilled down, just like, you know, the Jay Shalmati in Iraq or something. Like, okay. Now, it's this is it's trickle down racism. Right. It, it was really quick. Three years, too, to take over both service cat. Like, just like they're, that. They're on it. Man. So, I mean, honestly, man, like when we take a look at that, and this is, this is like our new – this is the new reality. Like th- yeah. just this – this total lack of due diligence and jumping to conclusions and this, this uh, disregard for the ramifications of their actions. I mean, we saw it in coming uh, with the Covington Catholic kids with this whole jumping to conclusions nonsense. Well, that one was bad. Yeah. And that yeah, one was really bad. I mean, they, dra- they dragged a minor like that's right. and doxed them and all this other nonsense. Yeah. It was completely out of control, but then they didn't. And then it turns out, uh oh, the story we pushed was totally false. Right. And then this kid sued all these publications for a ton of money. And I really want to know what the settlement is. I know they're not going to release it, but I, God, I hope that I hope that kid is just. Filthy. He's got a garage full of exotics right now. I really hope so. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I hope he hurt him. I hope he hurt him bad. Yeah. But they didn't learn their lesson. Even even when they got hit in the, you know, the, you hit them where it hurts their wallet. They because they have a they have a narrative to push, and they have I don't want to say copies to sell because print media is dead. But you know they they have a narrative to push, and so they do this, and in in the in the process they drag. I mean, God, you and I probably feel the same way about ring knockers, but at the end of the day, they're kids. Right. Oh, yeah, completely. Like, you ever had, like, one of those West Point cadets, like, attached to your team for a couple weeks or something? Yes. So they could, yeah, me too. And, uh, dude, it's amazing. Like, they make lieutenants look old. Let's <laughs> just show up on the team <laughs> or, you know, hang out for a week or whatever, and you're like, does your mom know you're here, guy? <laughs> like, oh, it's so cute, you know? But, we yeah, have, we – go. oh, go ahead. <laughs> I think that some people forget. I mean, these guys are – young i mean they're 22 at the oldest yeah you know most of them are like 19 and a half 20 and in addition to that because they went straight into college you know service academy college whatever they're just like college kids like 
it's not like that's a, a, a grunt from the 82nd Airborne with two years of, of, of life and getting beat up by Big Sarge under his belt. This is still like a total knucklehead kid. I mean, yeah, they're, they're at West Point, but they're young as the day is long. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're privates who have gone through – I mean, they're privates. Like, and, private, and privates do stupid things. They, they haven't even been beat up by boot camp yet. No. They, they do that that summer in the beginning, but kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we know. They're, they're, you, you miss that, that certain je ne sais quoi that a boot camp experience has, that just that right. misery. Because West or, Point or and the Naval Academy, they're for – the, For the rest of the officers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's an institution of higher learning when you boil it down. So they're not going to, like, totally – come crushing down on some 18 year old that they're trying to mold into an engineer nerd thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then expect to leave the army and then go sit on the board of JP Morgan or (laughs) Bear Stearns because they love, they love those guys or, or you can get a talking head gig with uh, CNN making six figures. Right. <laughs> Only if you bet the other team you're coming. <laughs> and then you can highlight how even after 30 years in the army, you still can't shoot. Right. Curtling. Right. No God. I laugh every time I see that. I'm like, it's embarrassing, man. It's really embarrassing. Like, I've seen nine year old kids on the three gun trigger that could just outgun that clown all day long. They can barely hold on to a nine millimeter. They're holding on to a nine millimeter like this and they would stop that dude. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I, I love watching the video. I really do. And I wish I had the means and the, and the know-how to just like, hey, let's pull up this video so we can just show how a 30-year veteran in the Army has zero recoil control of an AR-15. Like the thing is like, it's like wobbling. Like the thing is just like, it has a mind of its own because he doesn't even seat it into like his right. shoulder. It's well, even if he was, he's leaned back, afraid of the gun, and it was all kinds of nerves. Oh, shit. God, oh, on, bro. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I can't. I, I want to know if how he woke up that morning. He goes, You know what? You know what's going to be a good idea to highlight my inability to shoot <laughs> on national television. Generals have this problem, though, just like you know, the, the swamp creatures in DC, they live in a bubble surrounded by yes men. Nobody's, nobody's probably told that guy in the last 15 years that he's a chucklehead. And, uh, and somebody should have. Somebody should have slapped him around. He probably woke up that morning like, uh, I'm pretty much an expert. At, uh, <laughs> at and uh, the tacticals and, uh, and shooting and stuff. It was like, uh, put on them stars. Like, I don't know if you know this about me, but I got a Legion American for getting copied at the Pentagon one time when I was a lieutenant colonel. Yeah, they're clowns, <laughs> man, for the most part. I mean, they suck, dude. I mean, there, there are some exceptions, uh, I will grant you. There's some general officers that are brilliant, and there's some general officers that absolutely have it together, but they are few and far between. They Most are. of these clowns are politicians, and that's just how it works. Yeah, it's, it's no secret that if, if you're going to leave the, the eagle and get that star, you need, to, you need to know how to play politics. You, you yeah. need to. It's an open secret. Right. right. Well, that kind of, I mean, well, we kind of like, we kind of took a path. I'm just going to, I'm going to take this path. You know, you got, you got your, you got your, you got your Buja Hadeen shirt on and we're talking guns and hurtling. So dude, did you follow this Virginia, this whole Virginia fiasco with the politician recommending that the governor activates the guard to assist in weapons confiscation? Oh, dude, this is, uh, this is some scary stuff. This is, uh. You know, this is one of those things where, like, you know, you got your tinfoil hat and you got your tinfoil sombrero, and you try to keep them both in the closet over there, but sometimes they come out, you got to put them on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I try not to be too, like, overreactive about what is happening, but at the same time, I've never seen anything like this in our lifetimes. Like, this is absolutely bananas. Uh, I mean, it's completely not... The, the way that the counties are arrayed against them too was it? I mean, they're up to ninety or maybe even a hundred right now of counties of Virginia. They're like, screw you, we're Second Amendment sanctuary counties now. Yeah. And then they flip around with that, like, we'll use the National Guard, which they actually legally can do. You know, the governor can call it the National Guard as long as he pays for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like we have to get like Title Ten approval or something. And then no. the other side of that is that law that they passed or that they proposed that would instantly fire any public servant that refuses to uh, enforce Second Amendment rules. 
well, this is uh, this is just more of that like they're playing by we're playing by the rules and they're not uh, because when this when these same kinds of things were tried against uh, immigration sanctuary cities, you know, it took wow years the last like three years of the Obama administration. You had states like Texas uh, suing the federal government over the fact that they were stopping them from enforcing their own laws in their own state because, like, let's say the state of, or city of Austin popped up, like, we're a Second Amendment or we're a uh, immigration sanctuary state. You know, the federal government was actually stopping Texas from crushing their morale. And now we fast forward three years where it's a Second Amendment thing, and all of a sudden they're trying to play by an entirely different set of rules. This is uh, this is very dangerous. This this is actually this is how people start getting shot. It's, uh, it's, it's teetering on that cusp, and all you need is uh, somebody that's a little trigger happy or a little more ready to go than everybody else, and uh, it gets ugly quick. It's going to make the Kent State University incident look like a picnic. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. now, my, the only, the only, there is a silver lining, and it's the fact that this, this, I think in, in Virginia, they're called assemblymen for the state assembly. I think they're yeah. assemblymen. This, this Democratic assemblyman has no idea what he's talking about because in his statement, which caused all of this, he told the governor to federalize the National Guard. <laughs> which, seriously, like, I, I just got done reading the statement and uh, <laughs> jackpot. You're welcome, but, viewers. <laughs> yeah, that was just a little treat for for the uh, for the ladies watching. That's all. But uh, yeah, he told he was talking about federalizing the National Guard, which is a whole other issue. Which so, right. I mean, I'm I'm that's that's the silver line. Like they they don't know what they're doing. Um, I mean, granted, it was newsworthy enough that the governor released a statement where he basically gave a perfect politician's answer. I mean, the guy's the guy's a good politician. He survived the whole freaking blackface fiasco. Blackface coon, man. I, My God. I, well, that just goes back to what I'm talking about. We're playing by the rules, and they're not. If that had been a Republican governor or Republican anybody of any other state, they would have crucified him. Oh my God! And yet he managed to dress up. Now we can even take that back to the circle game kids from the uh, from the <laughs> academy. Okay, this is a stupid game. This is an idiotic game that we played when we were kids. Yeah. At any point in your life, and I grew up in Texas, which you might as well be part of the South. At any point in my life, did I think it was okay to dress up as a Klansman and or a dude in blackface? As a child of the 80s? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Not even close. Not even as a kid would you do that as a joke. Like, in fact, if you try to put on shoe polish and go to, go to school, your mom... Would, would beat your ass. Like, like that's yeah. <laughs> And yet this guy admitted he was one of those two things. Either a Klansman. There was no correct answer. There was no either a Klansman or like, in blackface. You could be dressed up as the curtain. You're still not okay because you decided <laughs> it was okay to be included in the picture. And yet they reelected him. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're playing by a completely different set of rules than we are. So, I mean, we know he's a good politician. He gave a, he gave, he gave a perfect politician's answer with the whole issue saying, oh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But it is concerning. That he's like, no, we're not going to use the National Guard to take people's guns away because, I mean, and, and that – I hope that go to Lexington or Concord. Sir, I mean, my God, like what a perfect place to, to, to kick things <laughs> off. Like, so – God. And, and you're right. This, I don't like pulling out like the tinfoil hat. I'm, I'm definitely not like one of these threepers. I call them threepers, the three percenters out there mm -hmm. LARPing in the woods. They're all freaking, they're overweight. They don't, they don't have any training. It's just hysterical no to watch. Yeah, no. for the most part. Yeah. And they're, they're like, Oh, 1776 will commence again. And I was always like, I was like, nah, but my God, we're, we're really approaching that. Like, just the fact that there is a conversation about utilizing the National Guard to confiscate. The irony is, is, is so thick, you could lather it up and put it on a slice of bread. Really. <laughs> it's absolute bananas. Well, and, you know, we have the advantage, too, of we in our line of work have looked at historically both how countries collapse into chaos and 
we've also been trained how to like give us a little push sometimes in the direction either we want them to not go or to you know whatever yeah you know that's that's why i think this one is different you know there have been a lot of flashpoints over the last 20 years but nobody was showing up at waco let's say with you know a homemade gun truck to defend some weirdo religious cult whether that was right or wrong is beyond the scope of the conversation we have had now in the last few years a couple of like really wild things happen. You had the uh, who the, the dudes out of Nevada that they, they got in a, a big pissing match with the uh, with the government over water rights. Oh, yeah, the uh... oh man. doesn't matter. Yeah, but, the, yeah, the, the it, Bundys was it the Bundys? Maybe I don't know. Is it God. whatever? Well, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, they go to Oregon, they take over, like, the BLM office with, like, machine guns and whatever, and, like, hold up there for, like, three weeks and all this crazy stuff. Well, I never really, like, looked behind the issues that because it was just beyond my concern. But the important point is they then beat the charges. Like, those guys walked on everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, is, <laughs> like, which is incredible because they definitely had NFA like, items. Oh, yeah. But and they took hostage like guns to take over federal property and did so. And a jury of their peers was like, You're good, man. It's cool. <laughs> and that really that tells me a lot about the state of our country. And and again, that's with like with none of the background. Maybe those guys were 100 percent right, but I, you know, either way, they, the way they finished it was probably not right. Yeah. But they beat it. You can't you take that. And then you look at the situations in Virginia, and as well as all the Second Amendment uh, sanctuary counties that have popped up, you've had all these uh, sheriffs in places like Washington State, New Mexico, Oregon that are like, hey, man, we're just not enforcing this stuff. We're not doing this garbage. That really shows, I think, the divide of like how close we are to a powder keg. Like for once, I think it may not be tinfoil hattery, uh, you know, and, and something I say often, like, I'm not sure that we're voting our way out of this, man. I'm not. I'm not sure that that's happening. <sighs> at least not at the current rate that uh, it's. Well, a single one. One of the two major parties is going, and then you have organizations like the NRA, which are have turned into clown shows themselves. Like, right. I mean, God, the the NRA has been probably the the left's best friend in stripping gun rights the right. past couple of years right yeah absolutely well i think the bigger issue is it goes well beyond guns at this point too that we have a cultural divide that that may be insurmountable for once you know we've got seattle hiring training strippers to show up and you know combat homelessness by being paid to be a training stripper at their you know public council meeting or whatever and you got all this stuff going on. You've got one side that can't decide how many genders there are and wants to mutilate children's, you know, genitals and put them on hormone blockers. And you got the other side. And I, I just don't know that those things can be overcome. Like this is, this has maybe gone too far. It's a fair question. My God. Oh man. And, and like you said, I mean, in our line of work, we've, 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 you start to recognize some signs of, where is where is this society going? And right. is this actually going to fracture? Is, is this are these just little pressure spots that can be relieved and they'll have a little isolated yeah. and that's it? And then and then you see what happens when there is a total breakdown in in a society. Libya is the perfect example. And <laughs> oh, it was all our fault. It was all of our fault. Right. right. <laughs> you know, it it is it's I mean my God, I know we're going off on a tangent here, but it happens every time I have SF guys on the show. Yeah, because it, 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 it's, like team, it's like a team room conversation. It's all over the place. Right. Uh, <laughs> I do like Legos, actually. Anyway. <laughs> but, like, yeah, Gaddafi was, he was a garbage human being. He was. And he was, he was evil. But some countries need strong evil people to lead them hey, that's just it's a it's an unpopular opinion but i think it's the truth was I, was iraq more of a problem in 2000 or 2013 you know, this goes yeah to like yeah there were definitely times in the you know like 05 06 07 when uh or before saddam got hung i guess that was 2006 that it was like maybe we should go get him out of his jail cell and give him a big bag of, bag of money and be like <laughs> sorry hey man you were right uh here's here's an armored division do what you need to do see you later <laughs> but um 
But yeah, I mean, so we facilitated his removal. And by removal, I mean his extrajudicial execution by sodomy, no. No. By, by sodomy on camera. And like, right. and now what, what does Libya have now? Open oh. air, open air slave markets. Cannibalism, slave markets. I mean, it's complete, absolute mayhem. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's basically Mad Max world over there on steroids. And uh, what are you going to do to fix it? You're going to kill everybody? Because that's pretty much what you're going to need to do. And uh, that's going to be expensive. Oh, my God. What a mess. But, yeah, I mean, that's what happens when society fails. I mean, so, God, I don't think we're ever going to – we're not getting to that. But, my God, you know, it's it, there's definitely some indicators that, well, that I, I'm, something I'm – I'm more worried about, you know, not divisions of people shooting each other or whatever kind of nonsense, but I am very worried about, say, a, a low-level guerrilla war happening all over the country the same way that it did in, like, say, Northern Ireland or, uh, or the Balkans or something like that. Just because, again, that's a messy proposition. You know, one thing about us guys that have fought the war, nobody wants to have a war here less than us. Like, I like my air conditioning. I like the fact that my garbage is picked up on the curb every Tuesday. <laughs> you know, I like going to the grocery store with, you know, maybe a little gun in case, but, you know, not having to wear armor and take 15 of my friends to, you know, get a can of soup. We don't want that. <laughs> We've seen it, and it was ugly, and nothing that we would ever want to happen here. But, you know, you can only push people so far as well. And, uh, I mean, we don't want to see it, but, you know, people keep pushing that may be what happens i would agree I, that, that's actually a, that's a that's a pretty good uh analogy maybe maybe the ira or or the balkans or maybe what happened in the caucuses back in the uh mid 90s something like that right but right. yeah i think that's fair sort of like large-scale warfare but still you're looking at you know little tit-for-tat assassinations and bombings and the, sh the bad thing about especially these kinds of wars is because they're fought by amateurs, bystanders are always the people that get caught in there. You know, you have dudes yeah. doing drive-bys and machine guns, bystanders are going to get hurt. You have people planting bombs, they're not always good at it. Innocent people are going to end up getting hurt. And that's why these things, I think, are so messy. They are. And God, I, I, I really do hope that, that we never have to come to that because that's not America. But listen... We, the, 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 the founding of our country is unique and interesting in the fact that it was based on those principles. So something, I think that's, it's just a little food for thought. That's all. Right. Concur. Man. All right, man. Well, I want to move on. Hi, Cause we got, we got, we got really, we got down. We, we, you, yeah, we were, yeah, we were talking about nasty things. Let's talk about things everybody likes and that's shooting. And I know shooting is a huge Shooting is a huge part for you, a huge part of your life. Um, it, it comes across in your books, which I love, by the way. I just, I, I have to admit, I just started the first one. Gotcha. Totally. But I already can't just put it down. One, I think it's, I think it's really, really super that a Marine learned how to write. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's really super. You know, that's actually why they kicked me out. They found out that I could spell, and they were like, <laughs> sea bag. <laughs> oh man <laughs> but <laughs> dude something that's really unique in your books though and and i think that's it's because you come from a world where you you're you've been there done that it comes through in the writing like it, you're not an author who is using his knowledge of action movies to craft the action of this thriller it's clay martin former scout sniper and Green Beret Sniper, and that's coming through in the book. And I think that's phenomenal. So, I mean, coming, you, rec you kind of brought the two together, writing and shooting. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that. Like, shooting-wise, you're, you're super into, into the long gun game. You're, you're known in the long gun game. Um, a teammate of mine knows you because he's into the long gun game, too. So, I mean, how did you, how did you kind of reconcile the two? I mean did one day you're like, I want to write a book or was it like, wow, I could do some writing based off of all this shooting knowledge. Well, you know, believe it or not, it actually came from what I did for a day job. Uh, Cause at the time I was doing a uh, gun reviews, which I still do quite a bit of, but basically I started looking at it as in, in doing a gun reviews, more like technical writing. It's like, you know, it's this and you know, this kind of thing or whatever. And you know, these are the specs, this kind of thing. 
and then you know performance wise and it's it kind of it kind of is it's boring when you do it a lot you know if you want to read about a specific gun that's one thing when you had to like basically make the technical data pack to go with it all this time it gets it gets old but i was looking at it and i was like one day i was just like how many words are in a novel and uh, it turns out that the answer between like 60,000 120,000 actually some of your, your classics like some Kurt Vonnegut books on the lower side of that around like your 60k or whatever mm-hmm. but normal what what's considered a novel these days is 80 so I'm like, okay and then I looked and I was like I do that every month and a half about technical data <laughs> like, like <laughs> and I was just like man I think I can do this and uh it's like I kind of had this this story that had been brewing in my head and I was like I think I can turn that into a novel and one of the other things that I really wanted to, to, to bring forward with it is you know I read a lot I always have and I never really got into like the, the military fictiony genre for the most part there's some classic examples like uh, your point impact from uh, Stephen Hunter things like that but uh, I was like I should also look at that so I looked at some of the stuff that's out today and a lot of it's garbage uh, just and it's not the writer's fault it's just they don't know what they're talking about and it really reflects in both you know like your your guns and your stuff like that but also in like your team guy thing because everybody wants to write these days about a seal or a spec ops ninja or whatever but because they you can tell they don't know any of them like it comes across as like this just trope after trope of like basically hot garbage man it's just how it is <laughs> you know it's, it's, if, if the 1980s movie navy seals was a novel this would exactly. be that is most of your like military thriller fiction kind of thing. So one of the things I wanted to do with this is I wanted to make it kind of like a, a realistic character, which is also why most of my characters are based on real people that I know. Almost everyone is based on a teammate or former teammate. Uh, and then, yeah, just kind of, just kind of all naturally flowed together. I th- Well, I think you have a winning combination. Um, because, as, because like I said, it doesn't read like, Charlie Sheen is getting wasted off of Bud Heavies and then diving headfirst off of the, the Coronado Bridge into the water. Or the Navy SEAL slash ski team guy that you know carries a SIG with 9,000 rounds in it and uh, always bangs the hot chick that had to be introduced to the story for no reason. Yeah, yeah, come on, man. Uh, first off, don't talk crap about Commando. It's the greatest movie that's ever been made. <laughs> I but, concur. I concur. <laughs> but no, that, that movie uh, that movie was a walking trope. Absolutely. That's kind of that's what you get in in like political thriller and military thriller writing. So I, it, yours is refreshing. I, I will say that. Well, thanks, brother. Glad you're digging it, man. Yeah, dude. All right, I had to I had to bring this up because you you had posted it. I don't know. I didn't read enough of it to look into it, but I, I want to talk about it because for years, for years, I had a Ruger precision rifle. And I okay. Loved it. Yeah. I ended up selling it because I was like, Oh, I I'm going to upgrade. Like it was chambered in six, five, oh, and wow. which is a, which is a great round, super flat oh, flying, yeah. super high ballistic coefficient, like a, a right. really great target round. Yeah. And then I was like, well, you know, if I wanted to like do some big game hunting in the future, like I don't want to sink all this money into a long range, like a long gun that has specific applications. Like I want something with a little more, you know, well-roundedness. So I sold it and I've been like in this process of wondering like, man, what, what's this next, the next long gun I'm going to get Like I was looking at, you know, like, Tikas and you can throw them in like great chassis like a kinetic research group has Mm -hmm. i think the sexiest chassis out there oh yeah their stuff is legit so like you can you can you could spend a lot of money on like a tico or seiko um throw it in like a, a high dollar amount chassis but then i'm on your twitter feed and i see ruger has come out with a uh uh, precision rifle chambered in three three eight. Yeah. Oh yeah. And no, three hundred women. <laughs> and right. And three hundred PRC actually this year as well. Wow. Which is about the hottest round going. It is. It is. Everybody's talking about it. I, I haven't. I haven't even got to shoot a round of three hundred PRC yet. But I have you know friends that uh, especially guys that you know stayed in the sniper world when they when they retired that swear that is like the end all be all round. Every one of them is like, if I could go back to Afghanistan with one round, that would be it. Really? Really? Is that good? 
man. So, I mean, honestly, I mean, what, what happened in the last couple of years? Cause you and I have, have talked a little bit about this, like on Twitter, like this world of long range shooting is going through this renaissance. Right. Where Here's kind of where I, th- I think you go with this with, especially like with the rifles. Now it wasn't that many years ago that to have like a mean competitive long range gun, you had to have one custom built. Yeah. And then you're looking at, you know, like $4,000 to $6,000 and, it, you know, all this wazoo stuff. And then you're going to shoot the barrel out in 2,000 rounds and spend another 700 to have one fit, blah, 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 fill in the bank, blank. So, and that was kind of like where chassis started. Well, you really had two, in my opinion, that changed the game. That was Ruger and Tika, because Tika makes a mean chassis gun as well that's not that expensive. But you probably put that one on Ruger. Ruger was like, all right, man what if we made a reasonably affordable rifle? Because most times uh, a Ruger RPR for the uh, for like 30865 is going for about a grand right now. Yeah. And the, uh, the big boys, the Win Mags and the uh, 338s, I think about 1400. They're like, what if we made a really good precision rifle that, that was cheap enough for everybody to afford? And they did. I mean, you know, I didn't think a whole lot I'll be honest, of, of Ruger guns as far as performance-wise until that uh, RPR and American series came out. And uh, they really are, they're fantastic, man. The triggers are good. Uh, the, the way they work is good. The accuracy is phenomenal. Uh, I've tested now multiple uh, Ruger Americans, which is the, the hunting rifle variant of that. Every one of them is between a half MOA and three quarters of an MOA. It's mid and angle, so it's a like, you know, half-inch group of 100 yards for you guys yep. that are super uh, gun dorks. But, I mean, there's absolutely incredible. And then if you go up in price just a little bit to like sixteen, seventeen hundred, the Tika, as far as chassis go, it'll outperform guns that are three times as much. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Uh, the Tika T3 TAC-A1 is actually the first review gun that I bought. Like, that was what, when it came in and I shot it, I was like, uh, you might as well just invoice me because you're not getting this back. Like, hell or high water. because it was so incredible i mean that my trigger is about a two pound trigger self-adjustable the bolt is as smooth as you know six thousand dollar guns used to be that were like hand honed by one you know nerd with like you know a a jewel thing on his eye and all this other nonsense uh but yeah i mean for like 1800 bucks you can buy a competitive gun out of the box i mean it's it is incredible like because you said five years ago you wanted if you wanted to if you wanted a, a thousand meter gun, yeah, you're paying surgeon like right. eight thousand dollars. Like, like, like here you go. Look and, and don't get me wrong; like they are still beautiful, They're beautiful sick. guns. Beautiful yeah, guns. And every They're time sick. I've had the opportunity, to, every time I've had the opportunity to shoot a surgeon, I was like, oh man. But it's right. it's, it's like getting behind the wheel of a Ferrari or something. Like, of right. course, like it's. But I mean, I just, I'm really, really loving like this, this new life that long range gunning has, has, has found. And right. you, you can find long range competitions everywhere now. Right. And people just come out because they, they, I don't know, maybe they find it cathartic there because it is a little more, it is a thinking man's sport and there, you're going to have to do some things and, oh yeah, it's not just breathing trigger pool, you know, body position. It's like, Okay, how am I reading this wind? What right. you know, with this density altitude, what can I expect my drop and things right. like that? And right. it, it it's fascinating to me. And like I said, I'm just a sodic guy. I'm not a sipsic guy. Um, if you were to if you were to to put me behind a rifle with a TMR or a mil dot reticle, I can't remember. I can't <laughs> because because like Horace and Tremor have come out with these reticles that just make shooting long range shooting just an absolute pleasure without a lot of the well yeah i mean you can actually you can actually take like the horse reticles and say that and the ballistic computers is what changed the game and uh, i was actually really very fortunate because just that because i'm so awesome but because of you know dumb luck i fell on the the, the cutting edge of that as it was coming in so you know i was a morning scout sniper and you know, urban sniper all this other nonsense did all this crap and then uh so that was like my life there well, then when I transferred over to a third group, my first week on the team, uh, the team was going out to Todd Hodnets for the very first time. And because I was a new guy, I was, you know, still said like, you know, new guy name tape on my uniform. Uh, I was very much in shut up 
and do exactly what you're told, Mo, because that's how it is when you report to the team. For, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, you know, in my head, I'm actually thinking, I'm like, dude, these guys are dorks. Like, what's some civilian, you know, chucklehead going to teach me about, you know, I've already got a combat tour with this M4A1. Like, I am, you know, T for train. Like, what's going to teach me? <laughs> But because I was uniquely in that, like, new guy mode, I also knew that I better not screw this up. Well, we went out to attack first that first time, and, you know, he's showing us all the ballistic computers or whatever. I'm like, what is this madness? And uh, really, dude, it took about an hour on the range, and Tadhatnet just absolutely destroyed us and destroyed every preconceived notion that I had about what you could do. As you got to remember back in the, back in the day, they used to shut sniper school down if the wind was over like 11 miles an hour. I, I don't know if you know that or not. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude, that was, that was old. Uh, that was the old thinking. Like if it's over, they said like school would shut down at like 11 and they said like, you know, the best trained professional, like awesome dudes we got. It's over 15. You can't take a shot. Like can't be done. <clears throat> but there's a lot of this was limitations of our equipment and understanding. And, uh, this is something I was actually going to bring up with uh, with Jesse on his show the other day, but I didn't get a chance to so we'll bring it up here. I think a lot of it was actually driven by scarcity of resources. So you know, go back to the early 2000s. If, uh, if you were a military sniper, like you got all kinds of ammo at $2 a match grade round at a time when, you know, also a, a, a minute of angle gun, like we said, was like $6,000. It was crazy. Like, uh, you know, our, our sniper rifles in the Marine Corps were hand built by these special armors and there's like, no telling what they cost. <laughs> so you had these guys like Hodnett, who's just never been in the military, just a you know cowboy from Texas, used to drive a UPS truck for God's sake, that wanted to compete in this long range game. And there was no way they could match it on money, like not, not a chance. Yeah. So I think that they had to start thinking outside the box to adapt and win. And he was the guy that did it the best. So he, that's actually how he became like a long range teacher. He won all these sniper comps and then like Yusasak was like, uh, maybe we should go check this out. So it's like so back to one of the first teams that's ever out there. So we've got our SR-25s out, which are not very accurate guns either. I mean, wow. you know, you'll have a minute and a half, two minutes at best. You know, most of the time you can occasionally find a minute angle, but they're rare. And uh, as the new guy, I, I promise you, I don't have one of those. <laughs> I kind of like the one assembled out of spare parts in the back room. Like, yeah, got, a, got a paint job on it and shit. So, so it's like the first day, and he's like, okay, you know, here's a little computer and your horse radical, and uh, we're all going to line up here, and we're going to shoot this 900-meter uh, target, which is also, like, outside of where we thought three-way would go. Yeah. And uh, we're in North Texas, and, dude, it's honking. It's like... 25 27 mile an hour wind and i'm like we're wasting our time here dude no way and uh you know plug the plug the stuff in my computer and uh i'm have, I have to hold like 11 mils to the right <laughs> you know so it's just <laughs> almost out of the scope with this generation one horus ting and that was it like at that point i was a hot net disciple and i he he really did he changed things uh the computers and the horse radicals pretty much what I like to say about it is it took sniping from an art to a science. You went from like this esoteric, like you had to be one with the gun and had this like stacks of data books and all this garbage to like, if you can pull the trigger, if I could feed you the, the, the stuff in the computer, you'll hit every time. Yeah. And uh, do change the way that we think and change the way that we do things. And anybody that's not on that train, if you're trying to play long gun, you're wrong. You, you, <laughs> you were a dinosaur and you're going to lose. Oh yeah. And again, like it just like the like with the guns, like that technology, like a ballistic computer, you can get a Kestrel for five hundred dollars. Right. Right. You can you can you can get mid-range glass with a Horus reticle or a tremor reticle now. Like it's 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 incredible. Like it's it's really this fantastic thing. Um and so yeah, I I figured like, oh you know, Clay probably had dope books like in the Marine Corps in the nineties. Yeah. (laughs) Now it's like I don't know. I, I don't even care anymore. Like, like uh, take the scope, I'll put it on that gun. One of the funniest things I've seen, because, uh, okay, let me, let me go back to the actually first thing. So I'm a Marine Scout sniper. Now I've just gone to, to Todd Hodnett's and learned the ways of the Horus. Well, like literally the next week, uh, I went to Sodic. Uh, okay. One Sodic at Bragg or Spisk or whatever the hell they call it now. Spisk. So, Spisk. So, so uh, 
also like we're the first guys that had this stuff besides you know some other whiz bang boys so i of course take it to soda because i'm like i'm never going back like you can take those mill dots and stick them up your well-laid mill dot hole and you know whatever like <laughs> i'm not doing it and uh they threw a hissy fit because you got all these old guys at Sodic at the time and they're like you know this is garbage whatever until we started just absolutely monkey stomping them like you know the guys that had just come back from hot nest like me and one teammate just absolutely destroying them and uh we came within like one round of the course record and it was a high wind day and uh you know finally they started to turn around too but i mean it was a hard fight man we had to we had to like really come with it in the military circles to get the old guys to adapt to this new stuff it's a uh, i got one of the first story about uh, horses and mill dots so i got this one buddy that was in uh, delta so he learned he actually learned sniper stuff on a horse first well <laughs> You know those guys go to Sodic too, right? So yeah. you know, a couple years down the line or whatever, he's been using this and you know, going to hot nets and all this crap. And uh, he goes to Sodic, and for whatever reason, they make him take a mill dot scope and like an M twenty four, so he looks like everybody else. He's like, dude, he's like, I'm in there like looking at this thing like it's you know, dinosaur bones. Like, what am I gonna do with mill dots? Like, this is retarded. Like, why would anybody do this? He couldn't understand because he you know learned on the grid. And then he also can't understand why old guys can't understand the grid. He's like, the grid's idiot proof. It's like, it's, it's like a ruler. It's a good yeah. ruler with like quarter inch marks. It's, you know, how can you not figure this out? But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's wild. It's wild times though, man. It is. My God. It's, um, and, and when I went through Sodic, it, well, when, now it's Sodic 2 and then Sifsic is the, is the level one quarter. Level one. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but when I went there, you know, they put you on a 110. Yep. And which is, I guess, when the military adopted the SR twenty five. Right, right. It's the you know, it's the yeah, it's, yeah, you know, with a good but, with a good paint scheme, so it's cool. Yeah, and uh, we started shooting TMR. Like they taught they taught us on TMR for two weeks, and then the TMR went away, and it it was then we moved to the twenty ten with the horse. And when I went through, I think. We were still, I think that was, those are Leupold Mark IV glass yeah, yeah, with, yeah. The, with the H58 reticle. Yeah. And then you go back to the, to the 110 with the horse, and then you do the two days, one day with the Barrett because you yeah. learn that the, even as a Green Beret, I didn't know this until I went through Sodic, that the Barrett is a four MOA gun. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Although I will say this, sometimes those Barrett's are not. Uh, I've actually shot Barrett's to like three thousand meters. What? Yeah. Again with uh, with Ola, uh, with Hotnet, the uh, Barrett's a weird gun. Uh, some of them are more accurate than others, and uh, I mean, I, I'm going to say that at that three thousand meters, we were doing something completely ridiculous. We were uh, holding like up mountainside and then on a cloud, and then volley firing three, like, and then come back down and look at the target. But we were hitting like you know vehicle sized targets at three thousand meters with them like all day long. Okay, there you go, man. I guess I just had a bad Barrett, but I've it's never actually, I've never actually used one real world, so it doesn't really matter. Right. Well, and a lot of people, even in the Snyder community, have a lot of hate for the Barrett, and it's because it's not as accurate as a traditional sniper rifle. I would say that most of them are probably actually closer to two MOA. But where they absolutely excel though is as an anti-material rifle. Oh yeah, you need to you need to hit something at even I'm going to say like fourteen fifteen hundred meters vehicle sized. You can absolutely crush it with a Barrett. And this is another thing that a lot of people don't understand is that recoil impulse on a Barrett is actually very soft. It's a weird recoil reduction system they've got. But have you ever tried to stand up and shoulder fire a Barrett? No, personally, no. Next next time you you uh, you can get some fifty, do it because you can. You can do it all day long. It's it's wild. You know, that gun moves a little bit with that weird recoil impulse. Yeah. But you can do it. You can stand up with a Barrett 50 cal and hit targets at distance, which, again, I would have thought was completely insane. But you can do it. Man. But, well, maybe I'm just not as good of a shooter as I thought I was, which is a distinct possibility. (laughs) Now, I'm telling you, man, a lot of this is mythos that's been injected into the sniper community by people that didn't really understand. And a lot of that mythos breakdown either came from, you know, guys like Hodnett that had no preconceived notions were just like, oh, of course we can do this kind of whiz-bang nonsense. Or 
I would really like for more like thinking dudes to be in charge of, and I've seen it once or twice. Like sometimes you'll get like a thinking dude that's in charge of like soda or whatever, and he'll change everything. You know, he'll like throw all this garbage out. But I'm going to say across the board with weapons, especially one of the best things that anybody can do is challenge the preconceived notions. Uh, I, I can even take that to another weird spot. Uh, so I was a cephalic instructor as well, right? Mm -hmm. So down at third group, we also have a, a, a course called uh, APM, Advanced Pistol Marksmanship. And it has nothing to do with Advanced Pistol Marksmanship. It's for the long-haired nerds, right? So that they can learn some tactics and not just type reports and whatever. So we're holding, we're holding this. And a lot of it is like scenario-driven. So we have these shoot houses and we'll set up you know, weird scenarios. Like uh, there's one in particular that we used to run back in the day was okay, you're in a meeting with the ambassador in Kyrgyzstan and like the building starts getting shot up. So your duty is to protect him and get him out of the, out of the building. And I would always play the ambassador so I could be an asshole, like, you know, tug on hats and, you know, act <laughs> crazy. Well, we're in there this one time and this young staff sergeant, young kid, probably been on a team for like, you know, two weeks or whatever. We're, uh, the scenario starts and he like X's out the first bad guy and then picks up the other brother. So now he's got two guns. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to stop the scenario, but I'm thinking ahead. I'm like, I am going to hammer this kid's ass when we're done, right? Because that's like the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It's like video game nonsense. <laughs> well, dude, we start running. He's just running through the house because we're only we're in a shoot house. We're like a five meter shot tops, right? Yeah. So he just starts waylaying the bad guy. He's just executing people. Like, why, why, why are you hitting every or hitting close enough? And it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And uh. I was, I was blown away. So later that day, like when the students went home, I went and got two guns and I put up, you know, paper targets, start running to the house, just not even like really looking because you can't look with two pistols. Yeah. You would actually be amazed at a close quarter battle environment. As long as you don't care about collateral damage. Yeah. How well two pistols works. <laughs> and that's the thing that like, if I hadn't seen it myself, I'd have been like, you know, no way. Absolutely no way. But, you know, again, challenge those preconceived notions. Like, sometimes weird stuff works. Man. I love outside the box thinking like that. Me too. Me too. All right, brother. Well, I won't keep you. I appreciate you coming on. We'll have you come on again because we okay. can talk We can talk guns all day. We really oh, can. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And, and crazy stuff that we've seen in the Middle East and, you know, all kinds yeah, of Yeah, we, we didn't even get to, like, any stories, which we need to. We'll, we'll get to some stories next time. Awesome, brother. All right, brother. Hey, thanks right. for coming on. Hey, thanks, man. Good having you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Bye.